everyone, and welcome to episode 639 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing good. New year, episode 639. That's what time we started recording the show, 639 p.m. I'm ready to go. Well, again, I, I just found out the other day that you could record podcasts before 9 o'clock at night. It was yep. news to me, you know? Well. Like we said, you know, sometimes we have to go late because you have to get rested up before you could do a podcast. That's right. I, I didn't take a nappy poo today, but my back is hurting me. So I have a heating pad on while we're recording. Oh, oh. You sure you can handle it today? You okay? I have no choice but to handle it, right? You're going to power do, through? I, that's right. I'm recording a podcast every day this week. It's a busy oh. week. You need your fanny pack full of rattling stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I had to explain not only what a fanny pack was, but also the rattler to uh, <laughs> my kid this week. Oh, good. I'm glad you're teaching your child about the things that rattle around in a fanny pack. Right. Uh, we didn't, I didn't get into like specific names of things like barbiturates or, <laughs> you know, uppers or yellow jackets or anything like that. Or the famous doctor who would hand them out. Right, or the famous doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of those things where um, a lot of this stuff that my kid watches, they make the, you know, stereotypical joke of, like, any drug that you take, you see colors, you know? Oh, okay. And it was a couple of weeks ago, we were dropping my kid off at his friend's house for a sleepover, and... uh my wife was like, oh, he made some sort of reference of that. It was from one of the things he watches on YouTube or whatever it is. And I go, do you not want him watching things that make jokes like that? Like, I'm like, he's 11. Like, let's not get into the things that I was watching when I was 11, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes, no, I just think he should know what the real world effects are of different <laughs> drugs. And I'm like, so this is a con- <laughs> conversation we need to have, like, with an 11-year-old, right? Right, you can have to have. He has to test them all now. I right, agree. and he very and then like a couple days later, it came up, and he very vehemently told us that he doesn't do drugs. Oh boy! And I said, like we were joke, we were making jokes about it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, "Oh, you, you guys know I don't do drugs, right?" I go, first of all, yes." I go, second of all, the fact that you're so adamant that you don't, I think that you do. And three, I go, I know you don't do drugs because you don't have any money. <laughs> that is true. I I could just hear him uh, yelling out of his bedroom, Dad, I'm not not licking toads. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So uh, starting off the new year with a bang, a little bit of a different uh, format for this week. Uh, just for the opening segment, only because there was, like, no news. Yeah, so it should be a short, short, short show. Yeah. So for the first time in 12, year, we're, uh, 12 years, uh, we're doing our year-end awards. That's right. I, I would call them the Todd Nods, but I don't know what to add for Joe. You know what I mean? No. The Joe and Todd Nods? No. Yeah, we could, we'll work on it. We'll workshop it. Maybe by next year we'll have something. Yeah. Or maybe another 12 years from now when we do this again when there's no news for a week or something, right? Right, right. And it's the beginning of the year. In my mind, you know, all these people put out their, their the best of the year lists before the year is even over, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, there's like six days left. Who knows what could happen right. in these next six days? Somebody could sneak in under the wire. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
But it was like after we read like the last books of 2022 and the last TV shows and movies and, you know, the stuff that we cover on the show. Right. Right. Uh, but conventions are back, of course, because the new year has begun. Uh, we have a ton of stuff that we had read from this past week. Uh, the finale of Nice House in the Lake number 12. Uh, Once Upon a Time at the End of the World number two and Timeless. Um, technically number one, but this is the second year in a row they did a Timeless book at the end of the year starring Kang by the same creative team. Um, I don't know if... Wait, wait, we'll get into it when we get into it. Mm -hmm. um, what we're looking forward to coming out this week. And... I think that's it, right? Yeah, we don't have any TV talk. I don't think there's any Todd's Art Attack. But as with, uh, you know, what's coming out, uh, the score is all knotted up at 0-0 zero, zero again, Joe. Yeah, everything starts over except for one thing that has two weeks left. But we'll get into that at the end of the show here as well, right? Yep, yep. All right. So let's start with, um, you know, we have what the categories are here. There's one that has to be last, of course. Um, where would you like to start on the on the uh, few categories that we have here? We only got um, six. I, I, I know? don't know which one you have for last. Um, but the one I have for last is TV show. Oh, but we could go in any order you want. So, all right. Well, you do TV show last, and I'll do my other one for last, unless you step on it, which is guest of the year, which ruins the joke. But oh, guest of the year, we could do last. We'll do TV show then guest of the year. Okay. Um, let's start with movie of the year. Okay. And, you know, obviously, I don't watch a ton of movies, but it's stuff that we talk about on the show, thematic to the show, comic, sci-fi, fantasy, that sort of thing. Right. And I will say my movie of the year was uh, Doctor Strange 2. You know what? That was a really good movie. Like, with all my, you know, anti-Sam Raimi bias and everything, um, mm -hmm. uh, that was a really good movie. And that's on my list of top, like, you know, the top couple. I didn't see a lot of movies this year. Um, since the pandemic, I haven't gone to see a lot of movies, uh, even after it's over. But I'm going to throw out a movie that's above uh, Doctor Strange for me. And if it doesn't count, then I'm going to say Doctor Strange. Um, and we can count movies that were released on direct to streaming, right? But they're like sure. an hour, 45, two hours. You know what I mean? Uh, let's say it came out in the calendar year of 2022. How about that? Right. Because I don't know how, like, you know, I don't know how streaming works, if you get my <laughs> meaning, Joe. Um, I'm going to say the Predator movie Prey that came out on Hulu. Yeah, yeah. I really liked. I didn't think it was as great as everybody says, but it's probably the second or third best uh predator movie like you can't beat the first one and then i'll give you like whatever but i really liked it it went back to like um like not the old west because it was a native american uh young girl who was fighting off the predator but it all worked really well i thought the beginning was kind of like a little boring but at once like things take off i was like i'm all in on this movie yeah, I, I, I didn't see it. I heard good things about it. I, I did see some janky special effects that people were making fun of in right. it. Um, but everything is janky special effects, you know? Yeah, especially with you. You'd, you'd find janky special effects in the, you know, the greatest special effects movie of all time. So <laughs> Avatar 2. There you go. That made it in under the wire. That could have been it. Uh-huh. Did you, did you go see Avatar 2? No, if I did, it would have probably been my choice. So Okay. 
Uh, so yeah, I really like Doctor Strange too. You know, I know you have a aversion to Sam Raimi. I have a fondness for Sam Raimi, and this felt like an old Sam Raimi movie under the Marvel umbrella and the Marvel banner. Um, it definitely helped that we watched uh, WandaVision. You know, I know that yes. was a lot of people were just like a little lost as to why Scarlet Witch was set up the way that it was um, as the protagonist or the antagonist rather. And I didn't watch anything about the movie. So like I knew so little going into it. I thought it was a team up movie. I didn't know she was the antagonist. And I think that really helped a lot more. Um, and it was one of like less than five movies I saw in the theaters this year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm with you. That's I was actually talking to somebody about that this past week about uh Doctor Strange. And it was the same way. I thought it was a team up movie. And when she says the line, uh, oh, you never told me her name, kind of a deal. You know what I mean? Giving and then the whole place turns red. I'm like, oh, I get this. <clears throat> that and I wanna say the fact that we had Captain Carter in the movie. I want a Captain Carter movie and or TV show. Because I do believe Captain Carter may be the face of the MCU. The face? The face. All right. Uh, what category would you like to hit next? Um, let's go with artist. Okay. I'll start it off with, I had it narrowed down to two artists. This is one of those that it was a <clears throat> like 1A, 1 and 1A. Um, and the one that didn't quite make it is Bruno Redondo. I mean, we've had a lot of discussions about Bruno Redondo's art, and I know, I even think back to the time, and I remember this story very vividly, um, your wife looking over your shoulder reading Suicide Squad and going, that page is amazing, of Deadshot hugging her, his daughter jumping into his arms. I'm like, all that stuff is really, really good. Nightwing, amazing. But 1A, 51% good compared to his 49 Greg Smallwood on the human target is right. just ridi- like a, a ridiculous level of art right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, both great choices that you have there. Uh, you know, obviously I, I just have one. I don't have like a, you know, a runners up or, you know, deliberation. Uh, my pick for uh, artist of the year is Daniel Warren Johnson, primarily for his work on do a power bomb, which he also wrote. Um, but I'm giving the nod for art to him. I, I remember seeing his art for the first time on, like, he had done other stuff before this, but the first thing that I saw was him doing a Beta Ray Bill miniseries at Marvel, okay? Right. And there was just something that was so unique and so different uh, about his art that really grabbed me. And obviously, with it working with a character like Beta Ray Bill, who is a different and a unique-looking character... And he's going on, like, these world-hopping adventures, and he gets to draw these crazy aliens and stuff like that. And it was a much heavier inked line on that than there was in Do a Powerbomb. And there's so much about Do a Powerbomb that works, um, in my opinion. But most importantly is the way that Daniel Warren Johnson was able to draw a wrestling match and give it that feeling of emotion and action and danger and suspense and all those things that like you need to really be watching, 
you know, a video, a moving image to really get that sort of feel. And he did such a good job of conveying that in his art, in the still image. It was just uh, astonishing to me. And he's a guy now that anything that I see that he's doing is going to be like a first day buy. Put it on the list. Just tell me the day it comes out. You know, he's writing it, of course. But if he's doing the art, then let's go, you know. No, I get you. I get you. And then for me, like on my end, as we're talking about Greg Smallwood, something I've said before on this show is he's almost out facial expressioning uh, Kevin McGuire on a Justice League International book. Mm-hmm. Like the look of ice occasionally Tora just doing stuff with like how she like snuggles up to to chance or like she looks worried. And I'm like, you're making me fall in love with ice all over again. And it's just so beautiful. And some of the shots he does, it's just, it's just amazing. And that's, you know, something that it, to me, you have to have an Justice League International book and, and they may have done it. And I thank, I thank the Lord every day that all his stuff is digital or I would not own my house. So what do we have next? Uh, I get to pick one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's go with writer of the year, right? Mm -hmm. So my writer of the year is going to be someone who's writing two books, uh, well, three books, let's say, uh, that I'm enjoying very much currently over at DC. And, you know, we always talk about like a writer starts getting all these projects you don't want to say no to. And sometimes you get to a tipping point and that quality starts to tip. You know, we joked in the past that like once Jeff Johns was at four books, it was always that fifth book that started to suffer. Right. Tripped him up. Yeah. And not to say that he wasn't doing other things, but obviously there was, you know, a miniseries here or whatever it was. Uh, But Tom Taylor uh, on Dark Knights of Steel, which did have a hiatus worked into it. Um, but primarily on Superman, son of uh, uh, Superman, son of Kal-El and Nightwing specifically, some of the best books being published right now. And every now and then I'll see people on social media say like, oh, DC's not so great these days. And I look at my pull list and I'm pulling double what I am uh, DC versus Marvel. And a lot of it is because of Tom Taylor's writing on stuff. And every month when it comes out, Nightwing is always like at the top of the list. We always talk about it. We always praise it, how it's an accessible book. It's a good book. Um, it's an ongoing tale of this story that you could literally jump in at any point and not be lost. But it rewards you so much if you've been on here since the beginning of Tom's run on the book. I totally agree. And Tom Taylor, definitely in my running of top artists of the year or top writer of the year, as you said, for all those reasons, but I'm going to go with Joe. And I think you might see where I'm leading here. I'm going with the guy that he's often mistaken for. And that's the guy who's doing two to three books at DC right now. And maybe, you know, is a friend of Greg Smallwood and that's a different Tom, Tom King um, for Tom King for human target. And, and the book that doesn't get enough love because it just seems like we were, you know, uh, we're doing different things. He's doing that Gotham City Year One book. I just read the third issue the other day because I was a little behind. And some of the reveals, I won't say because I don't know if you, if you got caught up on that yet. But uh, some of the reveals in that book as to why, like, uh, Slam got fired from the, the Gotham City PD. I was like, 
never saw any of this coming and it was absolutely fantastic and then on top of that you give me uh the human target i'm like all day just those two books alone put you head and shoulders above everybody else and in there is also brian k vaughn with saga we kind of forget about him because he goes on a hiatus but it's still tom king for me Mm. the reason it's not tom king for me is because he has a third book at dc right now uh danger street yeah that's not very good the first issue wasn't very good right and it was just one of those premises that i'm just like We've tried some of these premises. There's not enough characters in here for me to really... I get what you're doing where you're putting like a group of quirky characters together, but it's not like the group of quirky characters that I want to see in a book. Yeah, like they're actually bad quirky characters for the most yeah. part. And it's another one where it's like, oh, we could just... Because they're all like not even C-listers, they're like H-listers, Yeah, we could kill as many as we want and nobody will care. You know? And I know things started to fall apart toward the end of the Batman Catwoman series, which in and of itself was spun out of his run on Batman itself. Right. And then they did like a side miniseries with the Penguin and the Riddler and the Catwoman. That y- Right. And that you and I like kicked the tires on and we're like, oh, I'm not loving Batman Catwoman. So like, why am I going to pick up a miniseries? of a run that I'm just kind of here just to ride it out to the end, you know? No, I get you. I'm just going by how good two books are. Yeah. And yeah. Anything else, you know, for sure. Though Tom Taylor does have the, the quality work on everything that he does. Like he's mm-hmm. doing a Ray Ghoul one bad day, uh one shot. I'm buying that. Yeah. Like for sure. I'm not buying any of those other one bad day, one shots, but for yeah. Tom Taylor. Yeah. So I'm with you. He's, he's up there. So, so I how, guess go ahead. I, well, I was gonna say I think I know what your book of the year is. I don't know. Could you? How could you tell? I'm I'm very evasive on it, Joe. Mm-hmm. Do you want to take a guess then? Uh, I I'm gonna say that your book of the year is Human Target. Um yeah, and I know I kind of I I went chalk on this, um but when when there's a book where I'm buying all three covers, you win. You know what I mean? Just that's how much I love this book. There are other books, like I said, you have Batman, you have Saga, you have any of the Tom T- Nightwing books. I'm just like, it's it's just nostalgia for me. Nostalgia pushes me over the edge on this book. Mm-hmm. So, my book of the year is Saga. I like um, the diversity in your choices. So, they, well, listen, they took a hiatus, right? But any year that Saga comes out. It's going to be tough to beat. It is. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back however long it's been since the last time that we talked about something like this. It just, uh, Saga is just a, a great book. And, you know, mm. it did take a little bit because it did have a longer hiatus than normal. Um, it did take a little bit coming out of the, the starting blocks. But once it got out of the starting blocks and you start to get that familiarity with those characters again, everything's just great again. And I love Saga. Uh, it's back this month after another short hiatus, and I can't wait. Right. Also, honorable mention to Fiona Staples for artist. Yes, and oh. like I said, you know, we can sit here and name like you know, first runner up, second runner up. I know. But I'm sorry. I, I did my best just to be like, let's do one, and let's, nope. you know, yeah. I'm doing what I want. <laughs> right. Exactly. You do what you want. Yep. So TV show then, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go first because I have three. But I whittled it down. 
So like, and I'm going to go in reverse order. Um, cause these no, literally like I had all those other ones where I just went human target, human target, human target. This was, the, I put this one last cause this was the hardest one for me because I love these shows almost equally. Like, but Sandman was up there because it hit the mark on what a Sandman, like as close to Sandman as you can get. And it was kind of the impotence for what we're going to do with like uh, having Joe time to have issues this year. It helped Which I push forgot to mention at the beginning of the show. Yes, that's right. Uh, to help push that along. So that's up there. Um, then there was a, a Star Trek strange new worlds was amazing. And I tell people I haven't felt this good about a TV show, sci-fi fun TV show since doctor who at its prime in the new who. And I was like, I tried to get everybody on board for Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Anson Mount uh, as Captain Pike, greatest captain in the history of the Star Trek universes. But narrowly beating that out is a show that started out, as everybody says, you know, boring, but then peaked in episodes 9, 10, 11, and 12. And that's Andor for me. Andor was everything I ever wanted from a Star Wars show, and I got. Um, and I loved it. I just, I, that's the one that just for me, hit me right, right in the spot that I needed. Uh, I'm shocked. My pick is not on your list of three. Hmm. And maybe it's because it was like at the beginning of the year. Um, and it was that far removed. Um, and as good as Andor was, Andor was on my list, like the, the pencil version of my list. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, my TV show of the year is Peacemaker. Peacemaker? Okay, Peacemaker's on the list. I forgot about Peacemaker, but still, Andor's my go-to, man. Uh, I think, while I would watch Andor again, I could watch Peacemaker again and again and again. Peacemaker has the better intro. Mm-hmm. And Sandman, unfortunately, gets an incomplete because I still haven't watched the whole thing yet. I almost got a chance to watch another episode this weekend, but then, like, Ooh. we cleaned up. And you'll up. never see Star Trek Strange New Worlds. No, no, no. I, oof. I'll watch Tech War before I watch Strange New Worlds. Oh, you know what? For next year for uh, Patreon, Tech War, the TV show. All right. <laughs> It'll be on the list. Greg Evigan's is spectacular with the... Uh, William Shatner. Right. Easy to draw for comics, that William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Right. Um, but guest of the year, of course, maybe our most prestigious award. Um, cap caveat main show guest. Oh, so then I can't have Mark Pirro? Oh. No, no, unfortunately you cannot. He's the Patreon, so I guess, yeah. Right. So, well, he, even though the show was on the main feeds, it was inspired by the Patreon show. Right. Does not count. Dang it. No. Honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but guest of the year goes to uh, Kyle Starks. I would have to concur. Kyle Starks R was the greatest guest we had all year. Right. Writer of last year's I Hate It Here, um, previous, year favorite, previous year's favorites, of six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, Assassination, Rock Candy Mountain, and then he has his new project coming out this year, uh, Where Monsters Lie. Right. Coming out from Dark Horse. I know he's doing a big push for it on his social media. 
Uh, we're coming up here shortly on the final order cutoff date for it. And, uh, you know, I think we'll be doing, like, the week that it comes out, uh, we'll be doing, like, a spoiler-free review, like, a uh, uh, preview review of the book. Right. Uh, you know, Kyle's a real good friend. Um, Kyle is definitely someone who, you know, we've seen kind of come up through the through the trenches in the world of comics and, you know, getting big projects. I think he is doing one of the whatnot publishing comics. It's based on a web series that I'm not aware of. So unfortunately, I'm not the person to speak on it. But then mm-hmm. he's also doing something on Marvel's digital only uh, platform with uh, Great Lakes Avengers. Okay. Uh, so if that ever gets a print version, you know, I'll pick that up. I'm not a digital, you know, like you have to be the part of the digital subscription service to get it, I think. Right. So there's the awards. Again, short award show thrown together real quick. Um, you know, hopefully uh, we don't have to do like the first week of uh, January awards next week, you know. Right. Hopefully, like you said, there will be some news. So we'll mm. see. Uh, there is a convention this weekend. Oh, is there? There is. Uh, Fan Expo New Orleans is this weekend. The Big Easy, Old Swampy, is getting the first big convention <laughs> of the year, 2023. Right. Uh, on the uh, creator side, we got Art Adams and Simon Bisley, uh, names that stick out for me. And then on the media guest side, we've got Sam Raimi, uh, aforementioned from the Doctor Strange 2 movie, and uh, Henry Winkler back on the convention circuit. The Fonz. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry Zuckercorn, where more yeah. pe- more people would know him from, I think. Right, right. My lawyer. His roles in Night Shift. <sighs> Love the one Night and Shift. only. <laughs> I think I saw Night Shift at the same time that Happy Days was on in syndication reruns. Mm-hmm. So I was wildly confused. Right. I still, to this day, you know, that line where he goes like this, we're not uh, certain things. We're love brokers. Yes. I still used to say, like, in the same voice, I'm like, I'm Todd Roker, love broker. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Henry Winkler and a young uh, Michael Keaton, huh? That's such an underrated movie, man. It really is. Shelley Long, too, wasn't it? Yep. Shelly Long before she'd go off to do nothing besides Cheers. Uh, True Beverly Hills, she did. That's the movie she left uh, Cheers to go do. Right. It's a movie everyone knows and loves to this day. Right. It is. If if whatever year that came out, we were doing a year-end review, it would have been my favorite movie, Joe. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So we'll have the link to that convention if you're in that area this weekend and want to check out something, do something this weekend. Uh, along with information about soon to be named network at soon to be named network.com and soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Uh, anytime any of the shows go live in the soon to be named network, uh, you can find them there, especially even after they fix the links. Uh, or anytime anyone from the soon to be named network goes on another show, you could find it there as long as they let me know. Uh, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark. Uh, Final Wrestling Place, At Odds with Wrestling, We Need Wrestling, Wings on Wings, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Hit My Music, and Porch Talk. Right. 
And next week, I'm going to be on one of my favorite um, podcasts, Between the Sheets. Uh, we're going to be talking about the week that was uh, January second of two thousand, or January second of tenth, nineteen ninety five, in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, lots of discussion of Todd's favorite subject in the world of professional wrestling: attention deficit criminals. Oh, I coined that name. You I did. get a, I get a nickel every time you guys say that. Right. Well, I do not mention you on the podcast. I do. I'd be sure to put your uh, catchphrase over. You know. Oh, good. I was worried because yeah. that might. Because I'm afraid that might go on my tombstone when I die. You know, right. Realize Todd Roker, inventor of the phrase uh, "attention deficit criminal." So. Right. Uh, on his way home or to uh, his favorite <laughs> thing, professional wrestling. Right. He died the way he wanted to, horribly. Right. Uh, so check out the links to some of our other friends there in the show notes as well. Uh, check out Mike Sterling's blog over at Progressive Ruin. Uh, go check out our friend Kevin Hellion's blog at Mass Library. Go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop, freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. Uh, Jason Sandberg and Chris Runt, two longtime power listeners of this show, have self-published comic books, Jupiter and Battle Monsters, respectively. Uh, we have links where you can go and purchase them directly from them. Uh, and also, if you do not have a comic book shop in your area or you do not have a good comic book shop in your area, let our comic book shop be your comic book shop, Comics on the Green. We have their social media, Facebook, linked up there. That's where Dave and the crew do most of their social media-ing. When the new books are in, what the new hottest releases you need to know about are and when to pre-order them. And if you sign up for their mail order subscription for uh service whether you're getting books mailed to you weekly bi-weekly or monthly uh there's a chance you can get a sketch from our good friend becky on them um you can go check out her process her commissions uh all the stuff that she's done she's a fantastic artist on her instagram uh which is all linked up in the social media notes and links and everything else with every episode here right mm-hmm uh, so let's get into what we read from this past week, Todd. Where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with the book we were both looking forward to most, which was The Nice House on the Lake, uh, number 12, written by James Tinian IV and art by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Um, the ending to uh, this thing? Well, we'll discuss as we go on. Um, so basically... Uh, one of the people that were in the house has has been killed, even though uh, there was supposed to be a way, like nobody would able to be able to die, regenerate, kind of a thing. So Walter and Ryan are having a conversation. He's telling you, telling her, like, I've basically given you guys the power to take me out, kill me, because you're never going to forgive me, and you're never going to make this work as long as I live. Um, and he ends up basically explaining like how the kind not completely but like how it works like the the reasons everybody was picked all like the different types of people like artists like, like doctor and scientists and everything um and he's like uh now that's off balance because there's two artists and and a, and a scientist is missing my people are maybe going to notice that so like you might want to like read one of you read a science book maybe kind of fool them but i know you're never gonna like let this work with me around because you can never forgive me. So I'm going to give you the power to take me out if everybody decides to do it. 
and they end up having a conversation, the group, like they have the power to do it. And they end up like, you know, making a choice. Uh, I don't know how spoilery we want to get with this, Joe. What do you think? Um, at this point, I feel comfortable talking about spoilers. Okay. So they, he, he, they end up deciding to do it. Um, and they end up, you know, taking him out and they have to like decide what they're going to do with the place, uh, you know, how, how they're going to live. And along the way, we see his messages to everybody who was coming up to the house and he genuinely did love them. Um, but in the end, we find out that he didn't really die. He made a deal with one of them that she would know that they could never know because if they know, uh, it would never stick. So he kind of, you know, lets them think that. And then in the end, he maybe drops the hint that they're not the only group of people having this happen to them. And in the end, um, that they may end up having to fight to keep paradise. And that kind of took me back to like one of the first couple issues we read is when I noticed it is that we were seeing people tell the story and where they were in by the nice house on the lake. And there was like fire and they were all beat up and they had like bandages on them. And I'm like, this story's going to like a bad place, but now it seems like we never got there and we never got any final resolution because it says the end of the first cycle um, that I do believe we're going to see a series of the nice houses on the lake with mm-hmm. other groups. And then it's going to be that classic free for all that's in like, you know, every, like a bunch of, you know, movies that we see for like last man standing kind of a thing, if that makes any sense. Yes. What do so, you so let's say, you know, obviously one of the things that we had discussed about this book and I'll, I'll get into my feelings on what we read, but um, a lot of books these days have a built-in break, mm-hmm. uh, hiatus or whatever it is, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, it definitely felt at first when this came back that it didn't help, right? Right. Um, because there's so many different characters and there's not – like people are referred to as like – they're they're referred to by name, but they're also referred to by like what their trade is, but then they're also referred to by like a symbol as well, right? So right. like it's characters that you have no real attachment to that you now have to remember like how these three incongruent things all line up for them. Okay. Right. And how they all interact know each other and interact too is another thing, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, however, I feel as though the book did stick the landing overall. Um, obviously the fact that they left it open ending, that we're going to get more, uh, of this, that there are other groups out there, but I really feel the ending made you feel for Walter, And it makes you wonder if the others of his species, you want to say aliens or whatever, um, he, Walter, became more attached to this particular group than he thought he would be. And he's essentially sacrificing himself so that they have a better chance. He's not guaranteeing them escape. He's not guaranteeing them survival. But he's guaranteeing them that they will be off the radar of his people for a longer period of time. 
He's he's not guaranteeing them everything. He's guaranteeing them at least a chance. Yes, he's guaranteeing them the chance at the risk of his own life. Right. And whatever the ambiguity of Walter's character was, his relationship with all these characters throughout the entirety of this book, um, the book ends based on the strength of Walter's character and Walter's conviction in this last issue. And I felt it worked. I think we all knew that the only way that our core cast of characters would survive is if Walter dies. And right. you could have set this up as though it was going to be a big fight between all these characters and Walter, and you have all these casualties and everything else like that, but the way that it just kind of pans out, not with a bang, but a whimper, but in the best possible way, because this book was less about those actiony moments, and it was more about the character moments. And we get the ultimate character moment in the last issue. Right. Uh, um, but I, I really like the way that it all wrapped up. This is definitely something that I think would have read better uh, in one fell shot if it was released, you know, 12 issues over 12 months or whatever it was. Um, it did suffer a little bit from the break because the first six issues were like, some of the best six issues I've ever read of a book. Right. Barn burners. Now, let me ask you. See, I slightly differ. I I don't I think the, the ending's good, but I don't think mm -hmm. they stick the landing because it's not a landing. Okay. It's the end of the first cycle. So I'm really tired of stealth ongoing books. I'm tired of it. Like if you're going to like I, it's one of those things they didn't promote it as a 12 issue series. Yeah. But they did not promote it as a 12 issue series. So maybe that's on me. But I thought we were going to get an ending and we got a to be continued. And I'm like, okay, all right, fine. I'll, I'll read along. I'm with you. But I just prefer they would just say this is going to be a series of books. It's going to be an ongoing whatever. I don't know. I guess that kind of ruins the ending a little bit. But uh, so I'm like, whatever. So and so it does work. But uh, I have uh, one thing to say because Walter was a nice guy. Um, I, I'm wondering if there's these other groups that these other people put them together. Like Walter actually did like the people in the house yes. where now the other people who put people in these houses, they just picked random people who fit the criteria. So how are the houses going to relate compared to this one? Like all fascinating stuff down the line. So I'm yes. definitely in, but let me ask you a question. Do you think that hiatus, they changed the ending? That it was mm. going to have a definitive ending, and they were like, we can make more money out of this, and let's keep it going? That's why it was late? No. At no um, point do you think that this book was going to have an ending ending? So, you know, we talked, or you just mentioned, we've talked before on the show, on how these books are like stealth ongoing series. Right. But they're not really ongoing series. They're, they're, they're giving... The the publisher has given the creator that um, opportunity to write as long as a story as they want in like six or eight or whatever issue chunks, right? Okay. And I definitely think so. It's not. Let's not say that the ending changed, but I don't think we were ever, you know, because we were never told that this was a twelve issue miniseries right. up front. Maybe this was like an idea that. James Tinian had that was going to be 20 to 24 issues, right? And then he's like, okay, well, it's not going to be an ongoing and I need a little bit more time. 
maybe if I pad a little bit here and I add a little bit there and move this here and so forth. This is definitely something that I would love to talk to James Tinian about. Right. But I definitely do not think, because you said at the very beginning we get the bit, the very first issue, we get, you know, the bandaged people, the fire, and they even come back to it a little bit here, um, that these pieces were always there, and whether or not, like, okay, this ends up being a 12-issue miniseries, and we do get the blow-off, not between Walter and this group, but let's say between Walter's group and another group. Let's say we end up, Walter ends up getting killed at the end of issue six, we get our planned break, and then issues seven through twelve were originally planned to be the other warring factions, the other factions warring against each other. Okay. But let's say, well, we could pad this out a little bit. I like let's expand this a little bit more here, and let's expand that a little bit more there, and we could hold off and make essentially series two this battle between the groups. Um, like I said, this would be something I would love to talk to James Tinian about. But we don't really have guests on the show all that much. It would just be for my own uh, personal uh, discussion, you know? No, I get you. Yeah. So I'll let you uh, but I, th- that's the thing. I Because they stuck the landing and I really enjoyed how it ended, I'm like, okay, give me more. I don't care if you duped me into this being a stealth ongoing series, you know? Right. Well, even if it's not a stealth ongoing series, like three 12 issue minis, you know, or maxi series, whatever, but not ending, ending, definitely. When you say yeah, yeah. end of the cycle, that's just my opinion, you know. Right. Anyway. All right. So the next book uh, that we both read was Timeless, number one, uh, the yearly Kang book that comes out, uh, written by Jed McKay, uh, with art by a variety of folks, because it's like a double ish size issue right right and this is marvel's continued um efforts to make everyone feel about kang the way that i feel about kang good luck um so kang of course the conqueror time traveler he's been known by many a name uh rama tut to immortus to everything else in between and this issue in particular is all about the missing moment. There's one second, there's one little tiny moment that happens that Kang cannot time travel to. He cannot get there. And of course, it consumes his life. Mm-hmm. There's even a bit where someone tells him, and only him, what it is. And that's still not enough. It's one thing to know what the missing moment is, but it's another to experience it for yourself. It's like, I, it's the thing that I cannot have and I do not know what it is. Now that you've told me what the thing I cannot have is, I want it even more. Right. So that's the first half of the book. The second half of the book is the Kang rival that is set up that they go so heavy at the end that last panel of who it is that it's definitely not that person right um but this person essentially puts together their own modern day you know time traveling 30th century version of the knights of the round table to thwart kang and Kang, of course, spoilers towards them in ways that only Kang can. Uh, right. I, I am predisposed to enjoy a Kang story, even though sometimes I might need 
to read some of the explanation of the time travel stuff. Oh, maybe a second time just to make sure I'm like, okay, I'm on board with it. Uh, but I think Kang is such a cool look. Um, I think he's an underutilized villain and the fact that Marvel is taking the time and he's, you know, as far as we know, uh, he was the villain in the low key series. He's the villain in the new Ant-Man movie that's coming out this year. Uh, so 2023 is going to be the year of Kang, Todd. I still think it's a swerve. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, you know what they're building up Kang in you know Ant Man and in Loki, so when Doom comes in and steps on him, what? That's what's gonna happen. That's you know, got to build him up so Doom can take him out. Uh, but uh, I did not have the affinity for this as you did. I thought it was interesting. It's one of those books that when uh, you know he's like, oh, I got to go out for one of the few times Kang's on the run. And he's going through time, and you're seeing all things that could possibly happen in the DC or in the Marvel universe. You know, it's like, Oh, he's going past the situation with, uh, miles Morales, Spider-Man. He's going by this. I, I'm like, none of these clues land with me because I don't know where any of these characters are like right now in their own books. Like if they had done this in a DC book, I'd be all over. Cause it'd be like, Oh, the flash is doing this over here. And Superman's doing this over there. And Nightwing's doing this over here. So as we've, you know, like we've stated, we buy a lot less, uh, Marvel books, I'm like, oh, okay, so this is like to tease me on books, but I don't understand any of the teases, so you're left with just a Kang story, and when it's Kang, I'm, I never get into Kang, because I always laugh when Kang's like, I'm the biggest, the baddest kid on the block, and I'm like, you're not even the 14th best villain, like, I just love the hubris, but it never lands with me, so all around, this was an okay book, but I didn't love it, but I knew you would really want to talk about a Kang book. So I let it pass this time, Joe. <laughs> what well, was on your list of stuff to read? So of course I'm like, Ooh, Todd read a Kang book and I can get him to talk about Kang on the show. Let's do it. And listen, Hey, I- I'm not going to live in a fantasy world where like <laughs> Kang is the most marketable villain in the DC in the Marvel universe. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't live in that fantasy version. The only person who's buying Kang stuff is me and Kang's mom, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but, um, I think I've even mentioned this before. I'm okay if Kang is being built up um, so that Dr. Doom can just come in and smush him. Right. Um, Because if, you know, Kang is built up to like a higher tier person and then Doom beats him, then Doom beats somebody. If Doom just comes in and beats Kang as he is today, then Kang beat a nobody or then Dr. Doom beat a nobody, right? Oh, and the sad part is I understand all this. Yeah, listen, it's the classic, uh, you know, how you put someone over. You make them, like, not to say that Dr. Doom needs to be put over, you know, even more. He's Dr. Doom, right? He's got the lineage. He's got the cachet. He's got the the reps under his belt. But, you know. In the MCU, the the movie stuff, he does need to be put over. Yeah, for sure. Because he's just going to walk in. I mean, I'm going to pop hard when he shows up, but. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to whatever comes next from this, and I, I, I have a feeling that we got the one uh, shot last year and the one shot this year because of all the removing around of the movie schedules and stuff. Right. So they're like, all right, we got everyone primed for 2022 being the year of Kang, and then a bunch of movies got moved around. 2023 is the year of Kang. Hopefully, it doesn't get shuffled to, shuffled to 2024. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we had a timeless. One number three. <laughs> oh, let's hope not. Let's hope right. not. 
Uh, last but not least, though, of course, um, book that we read is Once Upon a Time at the End of the World from Boom Studios, written by Jason Aaron, uh, r- with art by Alexandre Tefenki. Sure. You got to say a name that you don't know uh, with um, with confidence, and I did not do it there. Um, but this is the continuing tale of Maceo and Mezzi. Uh, this is their early years, as we learned from the last page of issue one. Um, but this is these two characters starting to develop their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to really see, not that we didn't already know from issue one, but this issue really tells us, and I thought in a very interesting way, um, how tough Mezzi is and how much toughening up Maceo needs. But how resourceful Maceo is. But how resourceful Maceo is. And we do get the bit that you had mentioned from one of your sticking points from the first issue was, was that Maceo has that big, giant, comically oversized backpack of stuff, mm-hmm. right? And we get the bit here where Mezzi essentially says, like, we need to travel lighter. You need to travel lighter. You need to figure out what the stuff is that you cannot live without. And uh, Maceo is definitely someone, you know, who is on their own, but in shelter, as opposed to Mezzi, who's someone on their own who needed to live off the land and had to kind of fight and strive for everything that she got, where Maceo had anything and everything that he could ever want at his fingertips. So this is a very, you know, on the nose sort of lesson for Maceo to be learning uh, but we do get a bit at the end where we get to see um, a little bit, as you mentioned, of Maceo's resourcefulness, his ingenuity with what they have, but also a, maybe a little bit of a softer side that Mezzi has that she has been doing her best to stifle. And we get to see just enough of it to give Maceo and us, the readers, hope that these two crazy kids could work out. Yeah. Um, I agree on everything you said. Um, This issue made me come around on the two characters. You know what I mean? Because it kind of, like you said, it softened Mezzi and it, and it made uh, Maceo useful. So I was like, okay, so now we're, you know, we're meeting in the middle on these characters, like you say. And then on top of that, we get maybe, another thing with that uh that they have to hide from and that one that kind of maceo you know is talking about with her survival guide and everything uh these people who maybe she's on the run from all that i'm like that to me is more interesting than going across the desert running from tornadoes and scorched earth you know what i mean like now we have something other than monsters you know which is a good hook for any post-apocalyptic story but monsters aren't always as dangerous as people with bad intentions you know so i really like issue two i like it way more than issue one right and a lot of times if uh issue one don't grab you the issue two better and i'm glad that issue two grabbed you because uh you know it's I, i really thought that you know we had to get our world building in issue one and now we can start developing our characters and our, you know, our, our main through line for this story here, which I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. yeah. Jason Aaron very rarely writes a bad comic book, you know? 
I totally agree. And that's why not only does Jason is one of those guys who gets more issues than average, you know, he gets a first (laughs) storyline. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, So that's what we read from last week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, If you head over longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Uh, Since it is a new year, Shane Douglas, we are both starting at zero um, with correct guesses. I started the show and uh, the two of us have slender reads of lists this week, mm-hmm. huh? Yes, we do. And I'm going to take the shot and say the book you were most looking forward to coming out this week is Batman 131. It is not Batman 131. Okay. It is Fantastic Four number three. That was my second guess. Um, because the, the scuttlebutt is because we had thing in the first issue and then we had, uh, Reed and Sue in the second issue. This one is the torch and we're going to find out, uh, not after his story, we're going to find out what went wrong in New York. So that made them on the run. It was at the end of the first issue. There was a big crater in Manhattan and Reed's getting blamed. And I'm like, everything that's going on with Batman, I want to know what that crater is about. And I've been really loving fantastic four. So, uh, that's. Uh, but Batman 131 would have been my second. So I'm looking at yours. Is the book you're looking forward to Batman 131? It is Batman 131. Um, after the uh, cliffhanger, <clears throat> uh, I guess, of the previous issue, uh, how's that crazy Chip Zdarsky going to get him out of this one? Right. And uh, Bruce Wayne is right on the cover of the issue. Um you know, the DC books come out on a Tuesday, and I think shops might have got this book sent a week early, so I've been really working hard to avoid spoilers. So have I on some of these books, and some things, you know, they they really want to tell you what's going on, Joe. Oh, boy, do they ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like I said, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, you can join along with us. Uh, in 2023's Todd and Joe Have Issues, as we are doing a full, and I say full, reread of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. If you go to any of the posts that come up on a when, uh, every week on a Wednesday, uh, you'll see not only what we're reading this week, but the entire reading list for the year. Um, thank you again to Todd for putting together as comprehensive as a list as anyone possibly can uh, regarding all of this. Yes? Yes, yes. Um, and hey, if you read ahead, that's great. Um, you know, we have our schedule. Uh, it's going to be about two to three issues a week, just so we're not killing ourselves with everything else that we have going on. And uh, we read issues one and two of Sandman, starting right from the beginning in the uh, late 88, early 89, right? Right. And I have my trade here. Um, and I tell you, one of these days... Uh, I'm going to get the full, because, you know, this is something I have in single issues. I've got a bunch of the omnibuses and I have the trades, but some of my trades don't have the same trade dress. Right. You know, so it is a little unmatching on my shelf. And one of these days I'm going to spring and I'm going to get like a full run of the same trade dress of something. Right. The hardcover or the 
trade paperback the trade paperbacks okay because i know because i think they even did uh one of them with the slip case with all the same trade like that might i would just look into that and just splurge in one you know what i mean for sure but so so you are more of the sandman guy than me as evident by you actually finishing the show you're the one who put together the list Right. And so forth. Uh, so I'm going to let you take point on this. Not a problem. Uh, Sandman, obviously written by Neil Gaiman. And there's going to be a ton of artists over the course. I believe this was Sam Keith with uh, inks by Mike Drigenberg, um, which actually kind of shocked me like back in the day thinking like the Mac Sam Keith started Sandman. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It yes. blows my mind. But uh, the story starts out in 1916 with a man called Dr. John Hathaway who works for this uh, museum, shows up at the Burgess's house, and he's basically uh, like who's uh, Mr. Crowley. Uh, Alistair like Crowley. Alistair Crowley, take on him. Even though Neil Gaiman said in an interview that it's not Alistair Crowley, it's based on this other guy from a work of fiction who was based on Alistair Crowley. So it's two steps away. I always like that little thing. But he ends up showing up and tells uh, Burgess, hey, I, you know, that book you wanted, uh, I brought it because. My son died, and basically he established that this book, this this tome, may have the ability to catch uh, this grimoire to uh, capture death. And because he feels bad because his son died, he's like, this will never happen again. Burgess is just a terrible, terrible man. Um, and as this is going on, uh, various people, all we're seeing various people around the world, like uh, – uh, somebody in Canada, somebody in Jamaica, somebody in World War One, who's a young kid who lied about his age, and uh, Unity Kincaid, uh, and we kind of see them throughout the story where they are as things go on. They end up doing the Burgess ends up doing the uh, the, the the ceremony with his with son watching and all his cult followers, and somebody shows up. And he's got a helm, a ruby, a pouch of stuff, and he collapses. And Burgess is like, we did it, but uh, this isn't him. This is somebody else. And all around the world, various sleeping sicknesses are happening. And they're sh- showing us through the four people who uh, we saw earlier. Um, and uh, Burgess is, like, coming every day over the years to see the person trapped. And he's like giving him he's like i know like i have you in this cell he built the cell um and the person's just talking to himself with a cool font like black and white font like patience you know this guy's threats um uh, this entity or whatever so along the way the guy who gave burgess the book uh they got their hooks in him because they gave him one thing they could blackmail him and he was robbing the museum blind and he ends up saying oh you know what i'll you know i'm gonna i'm gonna commit suicide but i'm gonna leave a note that says everything burgess was doing burgess burns that note with magic and he's like ah well we still have the money so it don't matter uh along the way burgess's uh mistress and uh his uh second in command fall in love and leave uh and they take a bunch of the stuff with them that they had stolen from this entity uh, which they realize is dream now at this point. There's a, uh, a a book they find, the son finds, and he's like, I'm glad you find it. 
that's I was hoping you would. I figured it out years ago. That's why nobody sleeps around him. Um, and the two people who had left the mistress and the second command, uh, they end up bargaining the uh, some of the, the helm for a uh, talisman that protects them because Burgess is trying to kill them with magic. I, to interject, makes a deal with an off-screen demon. Yes, yes. <clears throat> um, so Burgess keeps trying, and, you know, the years are going on. Like, I mean, decades. Now the kid's, like, you know, like almost an adult and everything. And one day the uh, mistress leaves, leaving the second in command uh, without his amulet. And he ends up killing him using magic. He's like, it took time. Uh, once again, we're finding out, like, you know. It, uh, just, but, to, just interject. So it took sorry. six years for everything that he was doing to finally work because the, the mistress left him. And we get a grisly scene of his untimely death. Yep, this is full-on horror, mature reader's book right there, Joe. Yes. And um, I, if and again, I want to interject here because we're, we're constantly being um, updated on the people who are suffering from the sleepy sickness, right? Right. Um, it's 1939 now, and I want to, you know, obviously tread lightly here, but, like, two huge things happen in 1939, Yep, definitely. Um, one involving Unity Kincaid. Um, and again, this is, you know, a family-friendly show, but she ends up, while suffering from the sleepy sickness, uh, becoming impregnated. It gets covered up. And the baby gets adopted. That's number one. Number two, and I have the book right here in front of me, and I have to read it, Okay. Right. The universe knows someone is missing and slowly, slowly it attempts to replace him. Wesley Dodd's nightmares have stopped since he started going out at night. He puts evil to sleep with gas and then sprinkles sand on them, leaves them for the police to find in the morning. The idea came to him in his sleep. The man doesn't dream, or Wesley Dawes doesn't dream about the man in the strange helmet anymore. No more burning eyes. Everything's all right. Wesley Dodds sleeps the sleep of the just. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that at that time. And then reading it again here for the first time in however many years. And I love that. One of my favorite, like, definitely in the top 50 moments in all of Sandman. Yeah, I think there's uh, 200 moments in Sandman that right. I can go down. There's, but yes. there's 200 great ones. But if I have to pick my top 50, this is right. definitely in the top 50, right? But it's great because he even, like, picks a mask that has, like, the globe eyes, like the helm. Yes. Like, there's all these little things. And you know all the stuff we love in Starman later? Where, yes. like, he brings he brings the legacy home. Like, it's like, here's all the Starman at Starman at some point. Now, Sandman didn't have all that depth. But Neil made sure he got anybody who was ever called Sandman in the DC Universe involved in this book somehow. You know what I mean? So just right off the back to connect them. And in that, it kind of establishes the DC, like, you know, universe proper. Um, and uh, there would be a couple along the way and then it would fade out. You know what I mean? But I'm with you. I'm with you. That's great. Um, Burgess now is, you know, older. We're in 1947 
and the, the the kid's asking the father, he's like, do you think this is wise to keep going down there and like chaunting him? He's like, no, but he goes down, he's like, this and that. He's like, just yelling at him and everything. And then one day he just, you know, years later has a heart attack. And I like the fact that like the little things that Neil does in the book, like the tombstone, not dead, only sleeping on his tombstone. I was like, mm-hmm. that's so great. Um, once again, we get, you know, bits and pieces with the people who have the the sleeping sickness. Uh, you know, occasionally they'll wake up. Occasionally they'll see things, stuff like that. So the son has taken over the cult, if you will. And he has a second in command, this guy who they're basically um, lovers kind of a deal. And the guy says, like, well, why don't you just like, you know, your father kind of threatened him. Uh you know, why don't you go and try and have a conversation with him and, uh, you know, talk to him. And he ends up over the course of years, like coming back every year. And he's like, why won't you tell me anything? You could tell me so much. I haven't had a decent night's sleep in over 60 years. Is that your fault? And then he kind of threatens him. But in the end, he's like, uh, you know, couldn't you, couldn't you like, we'll let you go. Like, like, you know, uh, let bygones be bygones. Um, and none of it is like, this guy won't even acknowledge them. He's just maybe an occasional thought balloon, like soon. And one day the son goes downstairs with, with the guy, his, his lover, and they see him like they often do. And he ends up smudging the incantation on the floor. And through that, it begins. Uh, the entity in there gets in through a dream, through the guy on vacation. Right. So he, they they have two people down there guarding. Right. Um, Morpheus at all times. Right. They're not allowed mm-hmm. to sleep down there. They're constantly being given coffee, and they say in the book amphetamines to yep. stay awake. And it's that part as the wheelchair just turns ever so slightly. And causes causes the smudge on that circle of protection. That's all Morpheus needs. And like you mentioned, there's all these little thought balloons. We get so little of what Morpheus is going through. But we get that part where the guy starts to fantasize about his upcoming, like waking fantasize about his, he's not even sleeping. He's just like, you know, thinking about, fantasizing about his vacation that he's going to go on. And we get the bit from Morpheus where he just says, it begins. Yep. Oh, so, like, so good. Morpheus is so, like, cold-blooded, like, you know, kind of a deal. Um, and he, like, passes out in the in the, in the the bubble cage or whatever. They're like, he's dead. Um, so they unlock it. And he uses the sand that he got from the – which is great. The sand that he t- had taken from the dream on – uh, the guy's vacation of his dream, and he ends up knocking them all out. And uh, he ends up, he goes through this trip, which is fantastic, where he goes into, like, people's dreams. And, like, he finds food um, to, for nourishment, even though it's dream food. That's what he needs. And then he goes down, and the, the guy they give a vivid dream of this guy who has these dreams that he shows up at these parties with famous people, and he's dressed as a clown. He swear I thought it was a costume party. And at, at this point, and Neil will do this throughout the series, the dreams that Neil talks about in anything are dreams that either – He's had, or he's talked to people. These dreams are too cool to be just thought up by Neil. 
<laughs> yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but he ends up grabbing like clothing. And then in one of my favorite costumes that he doesn't wear much is he wears the, the black pants, the gray shirt and the black jacket, which has the, fl- I always believe are flickering flames, not flames that stay in one spot. If you know, right. because he's the dream king. Wouldn't you have a jacket that flickered with flames instead of just having painted on flames, Joe? <laughs> So, you know, when he actually goes to, you know, like he, he doesn't wear this very much. You know, obviously it's a very more contemporary look because he's going from contemporary people's dreams. And this is the closest approximation to what he would wear. But, you know, it's one thing to have a cape that has a tr- a, a, a train of, you know, flickering flame. But it's another thing to have a leather duster of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> it's always sunny guys would have fought over that, Joe. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So now he's out, and he ends up uh, the 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 son, the old uh, Burgess's son, is now old, and he's sleeping, and he wakes up, and he starts walking around the house, and through the scenes, he keeps getting younger in like the panels, which is really cool. Till he's the young, scared little boy again, and Sandman's like the cat, and he gets in the chair, and just. Sam Keith doing a beautiful job. Like, like I said, I never really thought about Sam Keith being a Morpheus uh, artist, but he does a fantastic job of them. And they end up talking and like the bit where he turns into the cat into Sandman. He's like, you were always talking. Why aren't you talking anymore? Cat got your tongue. And I'm like, that could be so cheesy, but it works here. And they end up having a talk and he's like, I'm the Lord of dreams. You kept me with your two penny spell and all this stuff. He's like, you had like time goes like for me, like the same as you it was like torture. And he's like, we just wanted to capture death. And then one of those things that I love, he's like, what you want death? Then count yourself lucky for the sake of your species and your petty planet that you did not succeed that instead you snared death's younger brother which by the way as i read this book over the years i was like a detective trying to figure out what ages like what order the 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 endless went in and this was our first clue and he ends up asking where all his uh his weapons are his his stuff the helm the, the ruby and he's like those are gone and he ends up uh he's like okay but uh you know, to thank you for your hospitality, I'm going to give you waking, uh, eternal waking. And the Burgess ends up, you know, every night, uh, well, not every night because he's stuck sleeping. He wakes up to a new horror, yes. um, like uh, like his face melting, like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, to he wakes up from that and the nurse's head lands in his lap uh, and it talks and everything. And I thought that was a very wonderful EC type thing to the ending of this story. Right. So there is one of the bit that you mentioned and I, perfect that you say an EC type ending. So we get those remaining people that we've been following who had the sleepy sickness. Right. Waking up. Yes. Um, we get Ellie Marston waking up. We get Daniel Bustamante waking up. And then most importantly, we get Unity, Unity Kincaid waking up. And the first thing that she remembers when she wakes up is that she had the baby. Yep. And. Um. This is a 40-page story. This could have worked as a one-shot. You pull some of these little threads out that kind of build the world that we're going to see over the next year, and this could have been a perfect, critically acclaimed, highly beloved one-shot story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. 
Yeah, it could have also been in one of those, like you said, those House of Mystery or Secrets anthology and just like kind of the way the Swamp Thing story was a one-off all those years ago. You know what I mean? And right. then it became Swamp Thing kind of a deal. I'm with and you, you. Mentioned, you mentioned it last month or last week when we talked about how much Neil Gaiman, among a lot of people at this time, but Neil Gaiman, you know, admittedly so, was influenced by the writings of uh, Alan Moore for these very reasons. Oh, yeah. He's just doing some of those twist endings that were in the Swamp Thing books. Yep. Um, and also, I love to. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, the, I'm just trying to make sure that the artist on this was Trigenberg because I have my digitals here. You know what I mean? So, because uh, it was definitely Sam Keith and art by uh, Trigenberg, definitely on the second issue. You know what I mean? Um, which they work well together. Yep. Uh, so, do you want me going to the second issue or? Yes. Okay. So, um, Second issue starts out with Cain and Abel, owners of the House of Mystery and the House of Secrets, uh, you know, talking about giving – Cain gives his brother Abel a gift. Um, then there's a knock at the door, and Gregory, the gargoyle, is there, um, and they open the door, and he's carrying their lord, uh, Morpheus, the Prince of Stories. And I do love, as this goes on, Morpheus has more names than any character in the history of comics. <laughs> you know what I mean? He goes by by uh, many names. And he's ending up like, he's like, help me. And they take him to one of the rooms. Uh, and they end up, he's like, could you bring me uh, food? He gets them some food. Uh, and he ends up going through... Ooh, well, he asks he asks Cain and Abel to bring him Something. anything that he had gi- that he Morpheus had given to them previously. Right, and I like the fact that Cain's like, "Oh, I don't think we have anything." He's like, "Do you remember <laughs> our letters of commission?" And uh, obviously, like you can see, Cain, uh, you know, being mad, and they end up bringing to him, and he takes him, and he's like, "Okay." Uh, that is enough to give me just some more energy, just what I needed. Um, so we get a little hiatus as he's getting stronger to uh, the young lady who was uh, Burgess's mistress. She wants to see her son in Arkham Asylum, which is another like you know direct DC thing, which is kind of weird. And we find out that he's uh, Doctor D, Doctor Destiny. Yes. Um, from the like Justice League comics. And she's comes to say, like, uh, you know, mother, and he's like, Oh, strange days. Like, and he looks like disheveled and emaciated, and his teeth are all rotted, and he's like, like, mother, you've grown so old, so strange these days. Mother, they took my dreams away from me. And I was like, Oh, like, and knowing where all this goes. Right. Um, so this is something this relationship between the former mistress you know dr destiny's mom because they can't use dr destiny in the netflix show because it's a you know dc comic superhero property they kind of scrap that he's like a supervillain sort of thing but they expand more on their relationship which i think obviously tv show benefits a lot more reading this in retrospect works here tying this pre-vertigo sandman into the regular DC universe. Yes, it definitely does give, like, because the mother-son story is, like, just a one-off, and then uh, Destiny goes off and does his thing, um, where they give it some backstory, a lot more backstory. 
Um, so now at this point, they, you know, Cain and Abel wave off uh, Sandman. He's going to go uh, look around and they're like, should we tell him about like everything that's happened? And like Cain's like, he's going to figure it out when, you know, w- without our help, let him go do it. And like, we're going to discuss your present, which we'll come back to later. And this is where like uh, Sandman starts, uh, Morpheus starts. Neil Gaiman starts weaving like what the dreaming is. I love when he talks about like the gates, the dream gates. Um, one is made of ivory and, uh, you know, only lies can come through them. The other one is, you know, uh, can only have the truth and all these cool, like the myths he's making myths for uh Sandman. And he comes in and he goes to see his castle, but his castle is disheveled. And we end up seeing, uh, Lucian for the first time, the librarian, he talks about, like, he's like, you disappeared all those years ago. Like, people kind of went their separate ways. People kind of stayed. But I try to keep it together. But in the end, like, you were the linchpin in here. Um, Like, and even, like, my library's gone. Like, I'm a librarian and my, like, library's gone. He ends up giving, like, some hints to, like, what people are, like, the Raven Woman, and, we'll, like, all stuff that will be down the line later, um, if there's anything there that you're kind of interested in. Uh, I can't think of anything for me. Uh, co- but, well, you know, constant world building, constant establishing who these characters are. Now, I have to ask, okay, so in my print, in my version, um, obviously, we know it as the Dreaming, okay? Mm-hmm. But they're referring to it as the dream time in my version. Okay, mine too. Okay, so is this them not officially retur- referring to the dreaming as the dreaming? Or is this them referring to the dreaming as the dream time? And then later on they say like, ah, oh, we're changing to the dreaming. That sounds a little bit better than the dream time, you know? I think so. I don't, you know... I don't know when it's going to happen, but I didn't see it in this issue. You know what I right. mean? So, so go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. So now we get a little bit and he's like, he's like the Raven woman. He's like, the, he's like brute and glob of vanish. I know not where he's talking. Like, you know, he talks about a couple other things like the fashion thing, which I don't think was a big part of the, the story. And he's like, and Sam is like, I already encountered, Cain and Abel, which we cut back to him, and the gift is a gargoyle egg, and it opens up, and Abel's like, well, I'm going to give it a name, and he's like, I'm going to call it Irving, and Cain loses his stuff, he's like, "You yeah. gargoyles always begin with G, uh, Gandamine, like, Gorgamon, like, all these things, it can't be, and he just you know, off panel, but murders him and gold, uh, little Irving gets like a gold gargoyle, gets like blood flying all over the place, um, so Sandman using, uh, like, he's like, Oh, I, I thought he had rebuilt the kingdom at this point, but he's just holding a model and he crushes it. He's like, it's gone and it hurts. And he's like, so Lucian gives him the idea. He's like, go to the three and one. And he's like, yes, I'll call them. And he has to go through this incantation of picking up stuff through dreams. Like, uh, you know, uh, honey snakes and a black she lamb which he's like that was the hardest one to find and then gallows and all these other things i love in these first two issues there's so much establishing that while morpheus himself may be underpowered currently and Mm. we're gonna get into what he needs to do to get all those powers back he could still take things 
from other people's dreams, which if I remember correctly, and again, obviously, there's a lot of things that I misremembered or, you know, whatever, but it's something that he does less and less as the story goes on. Um, yes, because he almost doesn't have to. Right, because he has his powers, right. Right, and he but would, I still he, think it would be just something cool for him to still do, you know? I think he does. He interacts, but very, like, little. Like, he won't take stuff, but he will maybe even give stuff kind of a deal or, uh, you know, interact or maybe help someone along who like lift them up as they need it. Because we find out how much like, like as the book goes on, how much Morpheus changed just because of his, uh, imprisonment. You know what I mean? Right. And we'll get there when we get there. Right. Right. So, uh, he, the witching hour, as they come, the one who is three, they, who are the hectate where, you know, they talk and it's like they have different names um, because throughout DC there was various three witches and they, I think Neil kind of like amalgamated them all into one. Um, and he ends up, you know, talking about the old laws and he's like, you kind of, can you, you help me? And he ends up giving them what they need, but he only gets three questions. And the three questions are like, obviously, uh, where's my pouch? And they're like, oh, John Constantine has it. Oh, boy, we're getting John Constantine. He's like, still have it. He's like, one question a person. So he's like, all right, what about my helm? And he's like, that guy traded it with the demon. And like, which demon? He's like, one question, one question only. And they're like, well, what about my stone, my dream stone, my ruby? Uh, and they're like, oh, that passed to uh, – through a mother to his son who trapped the dreams magic for his own ends until it and dreams were taken away by superheroes, superhumans ask the justice league about their president and whereabouts. Um, and I'm like, and they have a shot of Batman and green lantern capturing uh, Dr. Destiny and have his Ruby. And I'm like, this blows my mind because of like how far away we get from this. As I yep. mentioned before, just Batman in a Sandman comic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, and then even on the next page, when it's like, okay, it was, okay, so, and it's at this point where, like, uh, Morpheus Sandman is like, oh, well, do they still have it? He goes, no, no, I know, I can only ask you each one question. Thank you very much for your help. Um, and then he's like, okay, which of these three do I tackle first? Um, I'm not strong enough to go face the demon. Uh, and then he says, to Earth then, the ruby first, or the pouch. Um, there are things I do not know about this Justice League. More than mere humans, eh? And then in his thought projections of it, it's the Giffen Dematis era Justice League. So it's 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 a uh, fire, it's Blue Beetle, and it's Guy Gardner. Again, it's Sandman issue too. <laughs> right. And the fact that Sandman has a panel or just like a, a drawing of Justice League International is like the crossroads of the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> right. Um, so he ends up figuring out he's going to go for the pouch. And he's like, I'll go for the pouch. He is with Constantine. He is, after all, just a human, just one human. What could possibly go, go wrong? Uh, and at the end, I and this is... The thing that Neil does perfectly with, like, just, like, the little characters. So now Abel comes back to life, and he's sitting on the porch with Goldie. And he's like, let me tell you a story. Um, I'm calling you Goldie after a friend of mine who went away, but I think of you as Irving um, in my heart. 
Um, this story is a secret story. It's the story of two brothers. They loved each other very much, and they were always nice to each other. Uh, nice, kind, and brotherly. And the elder brother would never hurt the younger brother. Never. And they lived in together in the same house, and they were happy. And uh, Abel stutters in this, but I'm not going to do the stuffers. And they were very happy. I'm sorry. I'm not crying. I'm really not crying. It's only blood, little brother. Only blood. And, like, that is soul-crushing. All Abel wants is his brother to not murder him and love him. But he comes back every time, and every time he will love his brother and give Cain the benefit of the doubt, man. Just really strong ending on that issue and with two, like, two characters that aren't Sandman. Oh, again, it was great rereading this. Yep. I'm going to try to tone it down for the next issues as we go on, but uh, <laughs> I'm very excited to read these books, Joe. Well, that first issue is like a double-sized issue. You know, we got to get one and two out of there to kind of lay the groundwork. Um, and just even to talk about how different the first two issues are from the next, like, six to where, like, issue nine changes the whole series. Yeah. I mean, I even like, cause I was reading the companion as I'm reading certain books. Like he, like we said, not only was that the book, like an E the first issue, an EC love affair, like kind of a deal Two was a love affair for all those house of mysteries and house of secrets books. He's like, he just straight up. He's like, that's all it was. I wanted Cain and Abel in there and I wanted the house of mystery and the house of secrets. And like that brought all those back. Those were gone for so long, Joe. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, I think, like, the early 70s was the last time any of that stuff was used in DC Comics. Right. Maybe along the way for to keep the copyright. But you know what I yeah. mean? So so I guess next one is three and four, right? Yep. Three and four is going to be next. Like I said, if you're reading ahead of us, that's fine. Um, if you're, you know, sticking along with us, you know, enjoy the ride. If you get ahead of us, that's okay. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or otherwise, of course, you can comment on... Uh, the weekly Todd and Joe have issues post as those go up. You want to tweet at us about that sort of stuff. Uh, by all means, uh, you know, I enjoy talking about these Sandman books. Todd really enjoys talking about these Sandman books, you know? Yep, yep. There's so much stuff I want to discuss. And even as these go on, I get confused because of the digital version I have. Then they were, ch there was things changed from the regular issue to the, to the, uh, to the when they reprinted in the trades to what's on digital, and I forget a lot of that stuff. So I'll try to remember as we go along. Right. If I, I you know what, I might troll around a little bit, try to find a site if there's any sort of like glaring thing. There's got to be some sort of resource out there that has like here's what the original was, here's what it changed to, and here's kind of how like little things have changed or evolved or been tweaked over the years. You know. Right. Right. Um. But. Uh, anything else on these issues of Sandman before we close out the show with the big closer? No, uh, that's everything. And the big closer, of course, is all the plugs. Uh, you know, you're over at longboxheroes.com. Um, be sure to check out Public now that the holidays are over. They're going to have a little bit more regular sales. Not this week, starting next week, 35% off sales. Um, sign up for the Patreon. It's a new year. Um, you know, get in on the ground floor. Check out the whole back catalog. Um, you get two extra shows a month from Todd and myself. 
uh, previewing the past, where we talk about 30 years ago, this month's previews catalog, uh, our movie show, which we're doing the comic book oddities, the episode that's available for everyone this week uh, is going to go through that entire list of what we're going to be watching over the course of 2023. Uh, You also get those full scans of the preview catalogs that we're talking about, high quality, professionally done scans. uh, And of course, you get access to After Dark uh, two days before everyone else. So you can listen to these two shows weekly in the correct listening order and you could always go back through the archives you know go back the three years that we've been doing previewing the past go look at the two plus years that i have the catalogs up there you know go look at all the different movie shows we did you know we did you know mark Pirro last year we did six never seen movies the year before we did mel brooks the year before that you know there's so much content if you have a hole in your podcast heart let us fill it through the patreon right right And uh, you can also help us out by making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon affiliate link. Uh, It's the link at the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. It's in the show notes to every single one of these episodes, no matter where and how it is that you get these episodes. It does not cost you anything extra. Uh, They, Amazon, call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his cut of the money. Yeah. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this week include uh, somebody purchased The Perfect Assassin, a Doc Savage thriller. Uh, Somebody also purchased uh, Shibumi, a novel. uh, People buying actual physical books. Uh, Somebody also purchased something called Radix Pedis Diolabe. And I think people are just purchasing weird things like this to try to get us to pronounce them on the show. Uh, a, Watson, a Watson uh, a mystery, I guess, right? Right. Let me ask, what's this wee stuff? You got a mouse in your pocket? Because I don't pronounce yeah. the hard stuff. Oh, that's right. Uh, somebody also purchased uh, Transformers Generation Legacy Deluxe Prime Universe Knockout Action Figure and Transformers Legacy Evolution Core Dinobot Slug uh, Action Figure. Right. And somebody also purchased the Lego Ninjago Jay's Lightning Jet Lego Kit. And somebody purchased from October of 2020, Life uh, did a special magazine in regarding the television show MASH. And it could only be one of two people that purchased that. One definitely listens. One, I think, listens the same number of podcasts that you do. So I do thank you, that person, for purchasing this. I think one of them's giving you an envelope. That's all I'm going to say. Not Uh, no more, he ain't. That is true. This time um, I got sweaty, wadded up bills. Right. So also, uh, someone, as we always said, co- uh, is connected their uh, comic purchasing through our Amazon click-through. And they made t- somebody made at least one person made two purchases or two people made two single individual purchases. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the IDW Collection Volume 14, and Amazing Spider-Man Issue 16. So as always, we thank you. And I think that's it. Yeah, I mean, one week of football left, but other than that, so next week we'll crown the champion. Oh, yeah. Is there one week of games left or two weeks of games left? No, there's just going to be two, like, of the regular season. Next week there will be a Saturday and Sunday games, and then that's it, and on to the playoffs, which we could do, but we don't do because last year I saw the way they did it, and I hated it. It was like – 
here's the games because there's only like four games today or whatever. Now, will this receiver get over four catches? I'm like, no, no, no. 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 Like, stop it. Like, just to add something to give you points. You know what I mean? So, so, and you have to actually sign up for that one too. I was like, no, the winner will be crowned. Uh, after this week, unless the week uh, football has to go on for an extra week because of something, you know, right? That happened. We'll see. And I, again, I thought we had two more weeks left. We only got one more week left. Todd, you went down a fa- space. I went up a space. You're in twenty third. I'm in twenty fourth. Right, but how many po- uh, by tens? How many points are between us? I don't know. I so, just look at what place we're in. You know. Yeah, the place don't mean nothing because. Uh, yeah, kind of have to go by, and I'm I'm doing it now. Tell that to whoever's in first place that plays don't mean nothing. <laughs> well, he's in first place. If he's if it hasn't won next one, then he's tied for first place. Uh you're thirty points ahead of me. Right, which is only three points because I hate when they did it. They did that too. That they made each point ten points, so it looks like you got more points. <sighs> it's confusing, I know, but I love it because it makes you groan. Well, hey, listen, I'm just going to be happy when uh, I either tie or beat you. And, uh, yeah, that's all. There you go. Hey, you know what? You you beat me in the pigskin pickums. That's fine. But you know what I'm going to wear? I'm going to get on a shirt with a black T-shirt with a pocket. Batman has the best, second best robes gallery in comics. All right. You get on that. Yep. All right. Well, everyone, thank you very much for listening to the first show of the new year. Uh, a little bit different of a show, of course, of the new um todd and joe have issues uh or year-end awards it'll be back to a little bit more normal of a show next week uh either way again thanks everyone for listening this was episode 639 for todd this is joe saying we'll see you all here next week remember be a faucet not a drain Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.